Welcome back to Beyond the Uniform. I'm Justin Nasiri, and my goal is to help members of the military community thrive in their post-service career in life. Today is episode number 401, Taking Care of Your People with Trier Bryant. We had an offsite with my team two weeks ago, and we really struggled to package that into one thing. What's interesting is I struggled to put that into framing for civilians, but I think for military folks, they kind of get it. One of the things I really took from my military career and also the academy was you take care of your people and your people take care of the mission. And I really feel like that is something that consistently has been missing from organizations that I've been in. Lots of pros, um, but the one thing that I have found is that the military does an exceptional job of truly taking care of their people. And that hasn't, I haven't seen that translate well into civilian organizations. And so what I do now with Just Work is we go into organizations and we help them take care of their people so that their people can take care of their mission. Well, for those of you who smoke cigars and you know the phrase knuckle burner, this is a knuckle burner of an episode. I went in trying to keep this to 30 minutes. We used 58 minutes for this conversation. And it's because Trier has so many great points about so many different topics. You'll learn about her career. She's co-founder and CEO of a company called Just Work. A tremendous amount of experience at Goldman Sachs, Twitter, other great organizations around people management. And she has so many great advice about about taking care of your people, which is something our audience knows really well, but doing that in the military, outside of the military, blind spots you may have, talking about empathy in very tactical ways and sharing stories that I found really compelling. She talked about language, specific language to use to create openers uh, within the civilian workforce of um, getting to know your team, making it uh, an inclusive environment. We talk about entrepreneurship, Despite starting two different organizations, Trier talks about how she doesn't consider herself an entrepreneur, how she's much more interested in scaling something than building it. We talk about how you may not view yourself unique in the military, but you are actually a unicorn when you get out of the military. Uh, The concept of followership. Again, so many great topics, so much to listen out for this interview. And be sure to visit the show notes at beyondtheuniform.org. I have links to couple books that Trier talks about, a couple organizations. So with that, let's dive into my conversation with Trier. Well, joining me today in Oakland, California, my guest is Trier Bryant. Trier, welcome to Beyond the Uniform. Thanks, Justin. So excited to be here. And so for listeners, I want to give a quick background on Trier. She is the co-founder and CEO of a company called Just Work, which works with leaders and teams of all sizes across a range of industries, creating more effective organizations where respect and collaboration combine to produce just workplaces yielding exceptional results. She started out at the Air Force Academy. People watching the video will see her amazing Air Force uh, hat. Uh, She served in the (laughs) Air Force for seven years and has held roles at Goldman Sachs. Twitter, SigFig, Astra, and more. So I want to start, Trier, with where you're at today. So if you bumped in yeah. t- uh, to a fellow uh, Air Force Academy graduate on the streets and they're like, oh, Trier, what do you do for a living? How do you answer that question? Oof. You know, as we had an offsite with my team two weeks ago, and we really struggled to package that into one thing. Interesting is I struggled to put that into framing for civilians, but I think for military folks, they kind of get it. Um, But one of the things I really took from my military career and also the academy was you take care of your people and your people take care of the mission. 
And I really feel like that is something that consistently has been missing from organizations that I've been in. Lots of pros, but the one thing that I have found is that the military does an exceptional job of truly taking care of their people. I haven't seen that translate well into civilian organizations. And so what I do now with Just Work is we go into organizations and we help them take care of their people so that their people can take care of their mission. That's great. I, I love that thought. You know, the, the phrase that I've heard in the last 10 years that I really like is that happy cows produce good milk. And I do see how in the military that was often, you know, one of the tenets of, of good leaders that I found is like their ability to take care of people. And do you find, is this something that a lot of organizations are starting to think about, are prioritizing? Is this off the radar for a lot of the companies you look at? I think it's just that folks in outside of the military have such a narrow view of what taking care of your people are. They think in a very like HR pay, what is your base salary and kind of benefits, but it goes beyond that. I have introduced the concept of a first sergeant to every CEO that like I've talked to. Like, I just think civilian organizations, like that's probably like my next company that I want to do is like transition first shirts to like organizations to be on exec teams, right? Like we have dedicated people in the military that their sole responsibility is to know what's going on, what is the pulse and take care of folks. And they understand that in a more holistic way. And then I think that even goes further of the military. When the military says we're taking care of our people, it also includes your family, right? And I think in COVID, we've seen organizations really struggling with how things are happening at home and outside of the workplace and how that impacts their day-to-day and their work. I mean, let's just be serious who is truly at their best right now because we've just gone through like now a year and a half of just global chaos and tragedy and and the impacts that that's had on people. And so I think that the military is just much better at thinking holistically of a person and taking care of them and their families. I love that because I even fall into that trap of just in calls with people or with people I work with. I'm self-centered. I always think that whatever's going on is about me or the company. And then you kind of zoom out and you're like, oh, yes, this person is distracted today because whatever it is that's going on at home. And I certainly know that is for myself. So I love that you're kind of widening the aperture to look at as employees as the whole picture of what's going on. And, I, and I'm curious, you know, for, for listeners who are managers within an organization, what advice do you have for them about truly looking after the members of their team and making it okay for people to, to share about what's going on in their personal life? Yeah, I think that it's really, how do you demonstrate that you care personally about someone? Um, And that is, how do you consistently demonstrate that? It's not like, hey, someone just hired, so I'm going to ask how your your family is. Let's get to know each other. But like, how are you consistently bringing that into conversations? One of the ways that I have found that's like really easy in entry into conversation is, especially in the industry that I spend most of my time in and that most of our clients are in within tech and then the BC ecosystem, venture capital and ecosystem. A lot of organizations have paid time off, unlimited paid time off. Um, and so people will just say, hey, I'm taking PTO next week. And most leaders or managers will be like, great, like whatever, that's fine, take your PTO. But you know, saying something like, hey, Justin, you're taking three days of paid time off, that's awesome. Hope you're doing something fun. Would love to see pictures or for you to share when you get back. And that just opening, it's so interesting how often people actually take paid time off for like personal things, religious things, cultural events. And it's like, 
oh yeah, I'm happy to share pictures and like, you know, from a trip or I went with my family because we do a yearly celebration around X that's in our culture. And so it's just that opening of getting to know people, what they're doing outside of work, that can just be a really easy entry point. And I actually learned this on a deployment. The first time that I fasted during Ramadan, I was actually deployed and it was kind of show of support, right? Of those that we were partnered with, that we were collaborating with out and, you know, various different locations. And I brought that into the civilian workplace. So whenever I had someone on my team or even adjacent to my team and, you know, they said, hey, you know, Ramadan is coming up, I'll be fasting. And I'll say, hey, I'll I'll fast with you, right? And then as a leader, I would send an email to other senior leaders saying, hey, just to let you know, I'm fasting for Ramadan in support of those who are celebrating Ramadan. And here's some best practices. Like typically it's not respectful to, you know, put a meeting over a breakfast or lunch. During Ramadan it is, it makes the time go faster, right? At the end of the day, I might be a little hangry, low on energy, right? And like get, and like also education and informing. And it, that really just went a really, really long way for not only just, you know, those that celebrated Ramadan on my team, but also across an organization as well. I, I love that level of empathy. I, I just think that's a, like that, that's a brilliant example. It could be applied to so many different things where it's like you are doing something that I don't do, that I likely know very little about. So I'm going to do it with you. Like, I think that's great because how else would you know about what you said about meetings or how else would you know about like, yeah, towards the end of the day, I might be, you know, I might be a little bit on edge because I haven't eaten. Two things came up for me. The first one was I noticed this is kind of just my own experience in the military. I feel like for so long, I've been out for over 10 years, but um, for so long, because of this fear of fraternization, because of this fear of like crossing a divide with like between me and enlisted, I feel like I carried that into the workplace where I was like holding people at arm's length because I thought it would be like inappropriate to know them in a personal way or to go out for a beer or go out to dinner. Like that's, that's one thing that I'm curious if you've experienced that or have any advice there. And then second of all, I do notice a little bit of fear when you talked about someone going on vacation and saying, oh, share like share photos, share what you're doing. There's a fear that, I don't know, that I might do something inappropriate or make someone feel uncomfortable or even asking where they're going on vacation might be intrusive. And I, I'm curious what advice you have for people about getting over that and being a human being. Yeah, so I think language is important in choosing your words. So I don't think it's, hey, where are you going, right? That can be intrusive, but I always say, hey, Hope you're doing something fun and interesting and, you know, would love to see pictures when you get back. And the reason I always frame it in that way is because maybe they're taking time off for a funeral. And so I was like, I hope you're doing something fun and interesting. And it's like, actually, I'm not. I, I have to go to a funeral or, you know, I have to do something personal. And it's not. And if that and if it's not, then they don't share. But it's that opening where it's like, hey, I would love. To, I'm interested. Right. But if you don't want if they don't want to reciprocate or open that up, that's OK. When we talk about you sharing your experience, Justin, of when you were in the military and the fraternization, look, as a black woman officer academy grad, whew, I struggled with that in the military, right? I mean, it was one of those things where it's really, really hard to be a woman officer, a black officer, and a black woman officer in the military because you are behind closed doors with any one of the opposite sex, regardless of rank, right? And 
people will have misconceptions. People are going to have preconceived things, especially because I wasn't married in the military. I'm still not. I don't have children. And it's just interesting how that dynamic as well played to it. And so I think that I struggled so much with that and I fought against that so much. And I was so cognizant. It was so heavy. It was such a burden. I'll tell you a funny story in a second about that, that like by the time I got out of the military, I felt very free. I was like, we don't have this fraternization. So I can engage my team. I can go out to dinner. I can buy them a small gift and show of appreciation. I don't have to worry about those perceptions. And no one's ever, you know, given me feedback of like fraternization or that's inappropriate. It's actually just like, sure, how do you find time to engage your team like that? Like, how do you find time to show up and be a leader like that? But it was really hard, Justin, in the military. I'll, I'll tell you, <laughs> I had a mentor of mine. I went to her and I just struggled. And I was like, I don't know what to do. Like, I'm really struggling being single. I have a holiday party coming up. It was really hard to be around spouses, right? Like, you walk, like, there's some, there's an event at someone's house and you walk in and the men that I worked with in the squadron are on the right in the living room playing video games. And those are the ones I know. And then all the spouses are in the kitchen with the kids. And I walk in and I remember the very first time I went to an event like that at someone's house, I went and hung out with my coworkers. And then it didn't give a warm reception to the spouses. And I had to learn that, right? I had to learn how to balance both and to navigate that. But I was really struggling and a mentor of mine was like, you know what I did, Trier, when I was your age and I wasn't married? I had a fake boyfriend. I kid you not, Justin, I had a fake boyfriend that I took. Shout out to, I won't say his name, but if he's listening, he knows who he is. Shout out to my fake boyfriend that was, you know, that I had in the Air Force that would go to events for me just to kind of like, I just didn't want to deal with it. And I haven't felt, there's been other pressures and things that I've had to navigate and deal with in the civilian sector, but that's not one of them. Um, because I think fraternization is such a it's such a military concept. And there's, there's other things that you have to be mindful of in, in the civilian workplace, but that's actually not one that I feel like I have struggled with. That's, that's so exceptional. I appreciate your, your sharing that. And for those listening here on active duty in particular, I think that's such a great instance of a difference between being in the military and on the outside. And I view it as like more inclusivity. And I, you know, for me, when I was in business school, I kind of started to learn a lot of these terms and started to see just the norms of being outside of the military. But that's a great example of, I don't want to say like handicap, but maybe it is like a handicap someone has in the military that doesn't apply outside. And for those who feel similarly to Trier, to know that. And for those who don't, to know that that's a blind spot in the military of like, I, I wouldn't have thought that until you said it. But, you know, I came from submarines, so it was all guys. It was so freeing, Justin. And then I'll give you an example. Like, so at Goldman, I will never forget this because then there's like the far other side of the extreme. But Goldman has set out pamphlets and set a company to come and talk to women about freezing their eggs. And I thought that was, there was a lot of women that were offended. But I was like... That's so awesome. Like Goldman's basically like, look, you got work to do, right? Like you need to get to it, but you can family plan later, like whatever. And that wasn't the intent of it. Like some people took it in that way, but it was about education and it was informative and I appreciated that. But I actually feel like it was the opposite. Now, granted, again, I transitioned from the military to Wall Street, very different um, rhythm there and, and how women look at family planning and their careers, right? And so I have found it to be incredibly freeing where I do not feel that pressure of like needing to have a significant other or a husband or like a spouse. 
And you know, like you take command, like a spouse is an integral part of that, of being a leader and the squadron and everything that comes with it. And so I felt that immense pressure that I do not feel outside of the military. Yeah. And I I appreciate your surface in that as well, because I noticed from my own military experience, there were so many norms that I wasn't aware of that were kind of inserted around, you know, even in languaging, like personally, I I try to where possible say like spouse rather than husband or wife, like I don't want to assume anything about someone. And I'll even catch myself asking people like, oh, do you have kids? Because that's kind of, you know, a big part of my life right now versus like, you know, what, what lights you up? What are you interested in? Like not forcing a a framework on someone of what life should look like. Yeah. I wanted to zoom out a little bit. We started with where you're at right now. What would you want listeners to know about the transition out of the military? What led you to wall street and then what your career kind of looked like between the air force and where you're at today? Yeah, Justin, let's talk about it because I think that I have an interesting perspective about not just a transitioning bet, but then I went to Goldman and I scaled and ran the veterans transition program. I, you know, my last role at Astro was a chief people officer. So I basically spent my civilian career not by designer on purpose, just because of what I was interested in of leadership, taking care of people, inclusion, equity, diversity. Um, and that sits within the HR function in the civilian sector. So I've, I've spent my career within the function that hires and trains and promotes and pays. And it's been incredibly eye-opening, right? I always tell people, you'll hear often like, make sure you always have a lawyer in the family and a doctor in the family. Make sure you have someone that works in HR in the family, right? That can like tear up your resume and give you those insights. So a couple of things that lessons learned that I would have done differently. When I was getting ready to transition, I went and talked to my mentors, my sponsors, but they were all like generals, colonels, lieutenant colonels in the military, what the hell did they know about transitioning, right? Like clearly they were continuing their career. And so I didn't, for some reason, I didn't think about that, but I just, I was like, oh, I need to go talk to general so-and-so about what I should do about transitioning and getting out. And people did their best to give me guidance, but that was the wrong audience to talk to. And what I wish I would have done is spent more time, not just building relationships and talking to vets who had transitioned, because that's a great resource, but actually building relationships with real civilians that were in these organizations and industries that I was interested in and the ones that actually do the hiring. Like, I wish I had spent more time with just civilian manager leaders, hiring managers that's going to look at my resume that have hired vets or haven't hired vets that I could have conversations to say, why did you or why haven't you? That is where you're going to get so much wealth and knowledge because that's who you're going to have to go up against. And those are the people that you're going to be having conversations with, right? But it's like, how do you find those people? How do you talk to those people? And there's so many organizations and resources. A couple that I would just love to shout out. Um, One is Chief. And Chief is an organization for senior leaders, executive women. But I think it's a really great resource for senior women in the military. And I'm working with them on how do we get more active duty military or just anyone in uniform that are senior women into this organization that provides networking and resources. There's also a lot of, it may seem, you know, you got to put your ego aside, but there's a lot of organizations that are helping students and introducing students to different industries and careers. And that's a really great resource for vets as well. Because if you think about it, your understanding when you're transitioning, especially like for me, I went to the Air Force Academy. So that's like my four years of college, like, 
there's so much that I didn't experience or wasn't exposed to. And then seven years active duty. My understanding of the civilian workplace in the industry is probably right on par with a undergraduate student, right? And so looking at like, what are the resources that those students are, are doing in the programming, the companies, because that is where there is such a war on talent going on. And so teams have like, Organizations have dedicated teams on how to educate undergrad students on what tech means, what is Twitter about, what is Google about, and there's resources on their website. So it's not even like you have to say, oh, I'm not a student, but I'm interested. Like, go to the university recruiting website on these company pages, and there are videos of like one-on-one, what does being a developer or a software engineer at Google mean, right? Watch the videos, get that information. Just a wealth of information and resources. Um, And so just really starting there. The other thing that I would say is there's a lot of things that I think that TAPS just needs to evolve and outgrow. I've never read a cover letter. Most hiring managers don't. When people are like, Trio, you look at my cover letter and resume and I go, I won't look at your cover letter because no one's going to read it, but I will look at your resume and I will rip it. Now, there are certain areas where people will read a cover letter. If you're one of those vets that's thinking of transitioning into, you know, the Boeing, the Lockheeds, the government defense and contractors, yeah, you may need a cover letter, but a lot of times, like people don't have cover letters. And if you go and apply online, there's not even a place a lot of times to even put your cover letter anymore because it's a waste of an artifact in a document because people aren't looking at it. You're lucky if a recruiter or someone's going to look at your resume for more than 20 seconds. So like a whole other document, like no one's reading it, right? The other part is really having conversations again with people who are not vets and practicing just, you know, those those common interview questions and understanding, like getting to the point where it's like you can articulate your value add where people will understand it, right? So, and focusing on more of your broader skills of like leadership, collaboration, being able to do a lot with a little, being able to tell a story with data and numbers. Something that people pointed out that I really never understood is if you think about it, like I tell people, you know, the military is not really a space and a culture where you have the luxury to say no professionally, right? And so that's really powerful. So I remember like I got to Goldman and I would sit in meetings and people would say no and I would just be like, did the managing director who's like a very senior person, like they just asked us to do something and you were like, yeah, no, we're not gonna do that. Like it's not a priority. And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, like we got it. Like my team has got it. Like, yeah, like we'll figure it out, right? Now there's pros and cons to that. The pro was like, oh yeah, if you want something done, get it to Trier. But the con was, is I burned out. I burned out because I had to learn how to say no. And I worked with an executive coach very early. And I said, I literally do not feel comfortable with no coming out of my mouth. And so now I literally have like go-to phrases that are basically saying no without me saying no. For example, my favorite one is like, that doesn't work for my team. I'm not saying no. I'm just telling you like, that doesn't work for my team, right? Or to say, oh, that's an additional priority. Great. Happy to take that on. But then what of the other seven priorities that you have on our my team's plate are you removing to create bandwidth so we can get that done at the level that we know that you want it? So those are some of the things that I think that folks can work on when they're transitioning that like I wasn't thinking about and I wish I would have spent more time doing. So many gold mines of nuggets in there. And I just want to, to re-articulate for listeners. I love this sense of talking to the hiring manager, like talking just in general in a career, talking to someone who has insight on where you're wanting to go. 
And for most of our audience, that's, that's likely a hiring manager because they're the one who looks at so many different candidates and can give so much insight. I'd never heard that about the student resources. And I think that that's such an exceptional point about these, you know, whether or not you want to go to school after you get out of the military, that is a wealth of resources specifically aimed at training people and, and teaching them. So I think that's such a good point. And then also, I have not in, you know, 400 interviews heard that thought about how the military doesn't train us well to say no. And I really appreciate your articulating that and also giving those sound bites about that doesn't work for my team or the very practical question of like, okay, we need to readjust priorities to make sure we do a good job. And I agree with you. It can lead to, to premature burnout if you're not willing to set up boundaries, if you're not willing to, uh, to find a, a acceptable way to say no. Yeah. I think something else that was pointed out, and, and I think this is something that was drilled into us at the Air Force Academy, is that what I appreciate about the training of the Air Force Academy is that they made it very clear that like I was training to be a leader, not a technical or subject matter expert. And so I feel very comfortable. They were like, you should just be able to go in and, and take lead of whatever it is, right? And so that made me very comfortable to say, I can be a leader and I I don't need to know the the content, the subject matter, because I will have the people on my team that are the subject matter experts and I just need to set them up for success. And so that's why, like, you know, I have been in a lot of chief of staff roles outside of the military because those roles where it's like, I don't really need to know, again, like the, the, the content, the function, but like. I will figure out a way to get things done. You know how to ask good questions. You know how to track things down. I mean, like bottom line up front emails, how you put together emails, how you put together slides. I remember our team had to present to the executive team at Twitter once and my team came with like 15 slides. And I was like, are you kidding me? You get three slides. Because in the military, we learned you get three slides and for every star the general has, you take a slide away. By the time you're talking to a three star and a four star, you literally have one slide and you, and you get three bullets and that's it. Right. And so being able to help my team engage and execute and operate in that way, I think also made me a stronger leader. Let's can we talk about followership, Justin? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'll tell you something else that that really should double down on. The concept of followership is like non-existent outside of the military. And it struck me how I really understood this to be true was when I was at Goldman and I took over my first team and I remember I was engaging, something was going on with someone on my team. And I was like, look, you're really struggling with the work, but let's put that aside. Like what's going on with you, right? Like having more of a personal conversation. They felt that that was intrusive and they actually went to someone, I mean, that we were in like HR, human capital management is what they call it at Goldman. And they kind of reported me. They were like, hey, I think that Trier's line of questioning was inappropriate. And it was a great learning moment for me because what I took from that is what I really value about the military is that every level you learn what leadership is and at every level you learn what followership is. So if you are one, you can be a leader and a follower, right? In different moments and different times. But that also means that you know how to hold people accountable to be a strong leader and we also know how to hold people accountable to be strong followers. If you're not teaching everyone how to be leaders, and that means that when I display characteristics and traits of leadership, and you're like, whoa, that's foreign, you don't know what it is. It was a 
negative reaction, like, oh, Trier's being intrusive because I'm here to take care of you. I got to know what's going on. You're struggling at home. Let's get you the right resources, right? And so I had to, so now when I took over teams, we would do like, hey, this is what leadership 101 is. And let me introduce you to followership. And it was such a powerful concept because people were like, followership, what's that? And even at Goldman, you know, it was a real privilege to work with them on building out content and learning and development for followership because, you know, as much investment as an organization like Goldman or other companies put into leadership and they know that it's important, once you introduce followership and say it's the same thing, they get it. They've just never heard of it. And so when you go into interviews and you're talking to organizations about followership, you're going to get their attention and it's going to be something that they are going to crave. They're going to get it, but they're just never heard of that concept. And it's very, very powerful. And it's a way for you to set yourself apart. I love that. I think that's such a great example. One thing I wanted to ask about is you have started a couple different companies. And I'm curious what led you to leave very successful, very big companies to strike out on your own, but also any advice you have to our audience who's aspiring to become an entrepreneur about about starting your own company? Yeah, great question. So what I will say is, it wasn't by design. I'll be honest. When I don't call myself an entrepreneur, but I think that's like I'm in the BC space and it's just like buzzwords and it's like I'm an entrepreneur and I started my own company and it's like whatever. Um, I don't consider myself an entrepreneur. I don't like being an entrepreneur. Um, I don't like being a CEO, to be honest with you. It's incredibly stressful. <laughs> um, and in a way that's like, I kind of wish someone else was doing this so I could go do the work that I really love and enjoy. Um, but how did I get here? So how I got here is the first company that I started was Pathfinder. Pathfinder was actually the official company title is Pathfinder 1963 LLC. 1963 is the year that uh, Chuck Bush, Charles V. Bush, who's the first black graduate of the Air Force Academy, who was a mentor, a sponsor, like a grandfather to me, um, he graduated from the Air Force Academy and his call sign was BG1, Black Grad 1. And at the, at the Air Force Academy, they have a ceremony every year, Pathfinders, and they put bricks of like Black grads that have, you know, done great things and have, um, you know, contributed a lot to the Academy and also the Air Force. So I named my company after that. Why did I start this company? I love what I do. I think that diversity, equity, and inclusion, leadership development, taking care of people is not only like a strength, but I think it's a, a passion and a purpose. When you're truly passionate about something and you just want people to get it right, you just do it. And I had all these companies being like, Trier, can we pick your brain? Can we do this and that? And shout out to black women for taking care of other black women, but a black woman that, you know, I have a very close professional relationship with. She was like, Trier, we don't work for free. You People need to pay you for this, right? Like no more picking your brain. No more can we get your thoughts. No more, hey, can you talk to our team about how do we have a more inclusive environment and take care of our people? And I honestly just did it so that I could start invoicing companies. Like it wasn't like business plan thing. It was just like, okay, like I can start, make money, start making money doing this. And then I started getting a lot of word of mouth referrals and I had to bring on someone part-time to help support it. And so I would only take on, you know, I was doing that on, on top of like a full-time job, also being an executive reporting to a CEO in a full-time job. So it was a lot. And then last year, post the murder of George Floyd, my email, my DMs, because so much work happens like on Twitter and my cell phone was just blowing up for people who just needed help. And I went to my CEO at the time, I was the chief people officer at Asher and I said, I have to do this. And I said, so we have three choices. I can take a sabbatical for six months. I can leave the company 
and you know you can find a new chief people officer or we can figure out how I create the space to do both because this is important to me and I have to do this. And we were in the middle of, you know, everything that was going on, COVID, 80% of our, like we worked full time through COVID. Um, the Department of Defense, the Air Force and the Space Force were our customers. So they sent us a letter that said, you're, you know, you're deemed uh, critical infrastructure in support of national security. So we had to work, we worked all through COVID and he was like, we cannot lose you. And he was like, we will create space. And so I had a schedule and I took on additional clients and I was doing that full time and I did get burned out and it was a lot and I don't advise that. But because of doing that work, that's when I met Kim Scott, who I co-founded Just Work. So Just Work is Kim Scott's second book, her first book, which I'm sure a lot of you all may be familiar with, uh, Radical Candor, which I love Radical Candor because Radical Candor is how we give feedback in the military. And I was like, finally, a book that talks about how we do it in the military, civilian companies, let's catch up. And so we co-founded Just Work. And the reason why I did that, and so basically I've moved a lot of the work from Pathfinder into Just Work. And now that's like everything that I do and that we do. But I walked away from Astra and I did this because... Kim's book is so powerful that when it comes to taking care of our people, when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion, we have to stop talking about it. Like everyone is exhausted from talking about it, right? We've talked it to death. We know that it's an issue. We know that we're not getting it right. And now we need to start getting tactical. We need to start actually doing the work and just work in our company. We don't talk about it. We do the work. We don't like to call ourselves consultants because in the civilian sector, I had a CEO um, of one of our clients say, Trier, don't call yourself consultants. I pay consultants a lot of money to come in, tell us what to do. Sometimes you do it, sometimes we don't, but they don't execute. You are change managers. Like you come in and you do it. Some things you hold our hand and do it. Other things you're like, you're taking too long. This is what we're going to do. We'll do it ourselves. It needs to get done. And so we're change management and we come in and we meet organizations where they're at. And that's why I started this company because it was such a need. And I saw as I continued to take on these people leadership roles, the impact that it was happening for those companies. And I was like, how do I scale that? And so now with this company, instead of just being at one company, I can have 30 or 45 clients that I can touch in a quarter and give people these tools that they can continue to scale and then take on to more organizations because it sucks working at companies that don't put people first. It doesn't feel good. It's crappy. I don't want that for my family members. I don't want that for my friends. I don't want that for my loved ones. I didn't like it for me. So let's change that shit. Like I hate it. It's, it's so infuriating, you know? And so that's why I did it. Is it hard to start your own company? Not really, right? Like you can go form an LLC in a day, but it just depends on at what scale you want to do it. And just to go back and give a little bit more detail on like why I don't like this is that like, I'm not a builder. I think that there are people who like to build and they're very good at that. There's people who like to scale and there's people who like to maintain. I like to scale. I don't like to build. And I don't like to maintain. Maintaining is boring. For me, it, there's no right or wrong. It's you should understand where your strength is and then play to that. So right now we're in a building phase and I hate it. I'm a scaler. I, it's, it's great to hear your own journey of almost being pulled into this direction. But I also really respect how much just work is aligned with your personal mission and values. I imagine that gives you so much leverage to help other organizations. And I also think that's a great framework you gave the distinction between building, scaling and maintaining maintaining. Yeah. So understand like what yours is and then like play to that strength. So yeah. 
you said that you were, you know, basically doing this for free. And then your friends or, or mentors were like, Hey, you gotta, you gotta start asking to get paid to do this. What advice do you have for listeners about that? I think that this is kind of a common thing that I've seen for myself and for guests on the show is that it can be difficult to advocate for oneself. It can be difficult to ask for a sale or ask for money. Like I think that we spike in the area of generosity and giving, but we often have an underdeveloped sense of advocating for our value and asking for a sale. Do you have any advice on that? Yeah, get comfortable being uncomfortable. Lean in, ask, like, what's the worst I'm going to do? Say no, keep asking. You'll find that that area. And like, also like, you know, find out what other people are doing in the market um, of what they're doing. But what I will say is I'm very comfortable saying that I'm driven by money is one of the reasons why I just could not be in the military. I couldn't look at a pay chart and know that like, Trier, when you become a general, this is how much money you're going to make. Oof. I was like, uh, absolutely not. I also hated the fact that like, you're paid for your rank and your time in service, but like having more impact than my peer next to me, but we're going to get paid the same. No. So I'm very comfortable saying that I'm driven by money, but I also believe that if you pursue your passion, you will find the money. So I didn't chase money. I chase my passion. I chase what I, I chase challenges and running towards the fire and solving like, you know, messy problems that people don't like to try to conquer and take over. But I also demand and I know how to ask for what I'm worth and get the money that I deserve that comes with that. Right. And it can be uncomfortable, especially like as a woman. Um, but people do that. And there's also people that I know that get paid a lot more money than I do. And I know that I do the work better and that empowers me as well. I have a couple, I wouldn't call them competitors because I think that their work is trash, but I keep track of like, people will be like, well, yeah, so-and-so quote us. I'll be like, well, what did they quote you? And then I'll be like, that is great. That is a great directional number for me, right? And so you have to do your diligence and ask those questions. But the other part is that one of the things that I realized is that when I got out of the military, I quite honestly don't think that like I'm, that unique. However, you do have to be honest about proximity to people who are like you. And so what I learned to do a better job of is that when I got out of the military, I was like, everyone knows what I know because the military, like I went to the same training as you did. So you know what I know. So like we, like I'm not unique if we're kind of the same, but when you remove yourself from the military, you're going to be in environments where you are a unicorn. People are not going to have the development, the leadership development. People are not are not going to understand deployments. People are not going to have worked in the type of environments and done the things that you've done. And so you have to play to that and understand that makes you so unique. And there's a price that comes with that as in like people will pay you for that. People will pay you to talk about it. People will pay you to share it. People will pay you to bring that into their organizations. And so how do you capitalize on that and unlock that? And um, I'm not going to say that it's easy, but it's doable if you're asking the right questions and using the right resources and you'll get there. So don't, don't stop, but keep going. That's just so fantastic. Everything there. I just really respect this sense of hearing about a competitor's price and being like, okay, great. I got to, you know, I can up my game. I, my work is better than them. I can charge that. Like, I love that sense. Justin, let me tell you. Um, so I found out a friend of mine who she's great. She's, she's a speaker, right? I said, what is your speaker fee? I was excited that I had just increased my speaker fee to $2,500. And she was like, and I was like, well, what's your speaker fee? She was like, I don't go anywhere less than 15K. And I was like, 15K for what? For a month? Like, like, do you just speak for the whole quarter? Like 15K for what? And she was like, for an hour. 
I said, okay. The next time I got a request and I said, well, my initial fee is 15K and this is virtual. And they were like, okay, great. We're so excited for you to come. I was like, excuse me, what? And now I work with speaker bureaus and they set the pricing. And sometimes it's even more than that, depending on the content, what I'm bringing, like, or the audience, right? And so again, like asking those questions and we don't talk about like, it's like taboo, like talking about your money or talking about salary or what someone's making, but build a community of people where like, you know, you all are sharing that information because it's leveling everyone up. And so one of the reasons why those that work in the diversity and equity inclusion space, again, because of what happened last year, this is such an in-demand expertise. It's crazy how prices have just gone up and, you know, we're all holding each other accountable to like, okay, but we still like, we still need to be within people's budgets and we want to be competitive, but like, let's all kind of communicate and share like what we're charging for different things for a 90 minute workshop, an hour workshop, um, and sharing that information. So build that community where you all are helping each other and uplifting each other like that. And and to go back to what you said earlier about getting comfortable being out of your comfort zone, if someone has not done what Trier talked about of saying, Hey, my price is $15,000 for an hour. That is, it's just uncomfortable for me even thinking about that. But like that is what is necessary is to push limit, to charge what you're worth. And I just want to, I want to recognize you for like, I know it's probably easy to hear that soundbite of like, oh, she learned prices could be higher and said it. It takes a tremendous amount of courage to, to jump off that cliff and be willing for someone to say no or to say that's outrageous. But that's such a good muscle to have of like, like you said, what's the worst? They're going to take your birthday away? No, they're going to say no. They're going to work with someone else. Yeah, they're going to say no, but it's also learning that like, trust me, when Coca-Cola asks to speak, Coca-Cola's budget is different than like the startup with 50 employees, right? So you have to understand, you got to start learning and understanding. But once you start to massage it and look, we've also gotten it wrong, right? Like I appreciate when clients are like, Trey, I just want you to know that we had a budget for $50,000, but you came at, you know, you said that you were going to do this for 30. We would have done it for 50. Like we think that there's like, you're leaving money on the table. Thanks. I appreciate that. Right. Like, and, and so just giving that feedback and it's incredibly helpful. And, and I, I also want to bookmark. I, I love the way that you put it, where when we are around each other in the military, we just assume the attributes, training skills are ubiquitous. And, and I, I like, I even wrote down, you know, you get out and you're a unicorn and to, to realize that and play on that. And, you know, I'll just name for myself, we're on a Zoom call right now. I've got a little, you know, shadow box of my military medals. I have, you know, mixed feelings on my military experience, obviously 400 episodes into the show. I'm very grateful for it, but didn't like all of it. But I, you know, I play to the military piece because it is a conversation piece on video calls like this to have my military medals. And one out of five people asks about, it. And that's just to me is another thought of like playing on that experience. It is something that's very unique that sets me apart, you know, even though it was 10 years ago. Yeah. I mean, Justin, I'm shocked. I mean, I know I said before we started recording, but like I hated my military experience. I hated four years at the Academy. I hated my seven years active duty. Not that anyone was counting. I was every hour of it. (laughs) I tell people that it doesn't take away from my experience. I'm appreciative of it. Right. Like, you know, one of the things they say about the Academy, it's a, it's a great place to be from, but a terrible place to be at. I am proud, right? Like I can talk shit about the Air Force and the military, but like let somebody else come from it. Like I'm like, I'm very protective, but, and it's fine, right? Because whether you've had a positive experience or negative experience, I just believe anyone has served, put on the uniform, you've given too much not to be able to be strategic to take and leave with the military what is going to like 
catapult you, you know, propel you that you can leverage and that you can use. And it, there's just so much that you have gotten. There's so many things that the military gave to me that when I was in the military, I was like, this is a waste of time. Why do I have to do this? This doesn't make any sense. And then every year outside of the military, it's like, whew, I don't know why the military gave me that in the military, but this is so valuable now, right? So yeah, use it, leverage it, keep every book, keep every slide, every training. I have a little rolling file cabinet thing. The top file cabinet is all of my military stuff. The bottom file cabinet is all of the printed stuff from like Goldman and other places. Like I feel like we don't really print things out anymore nowadays. So I'm not really adding to that. It's more like virtual file cabinets now, but keep all your leadership books keep the frameworks. I have a notes with all the quotes that like, you know, when you hear generals and senior folks talking and the wisdom that they share, you're just not going to get that level of development. You'll never get the level of development outside of the military that you did when you were in the military. That That's my belief and that's been my experience. And so that also means that you have to find ways to invest and, and develop yourself, which took me a while to figure out. I want to ask one last question, but I do want to say for listeners that beyondtheuniform.org will have links in the show notes to everything we discussed, Chief, Radical Candor, Just Work, a bunch of the, the different references that Trier talked about. But I want to make space at the end. Either what have we not covered that you want to make sure listeners know, or what's just some final words of wisdom you'd like to leave with our listeners? Show yourself grace and be kind to yourself. Um, I think that there is this immense pressure there's this immense pressure of the unknown. I saw at Goldman after running the veterans program, we had a couple of vets, I would say like maybe like, I think it ultimately ended up being like two, but we had a couple of vets that after they transitioned, they got out and maybe they spent a couple months working or a little over a year, they actually went back into the military. And I think that there's something about not only just transitioning, but it's the first time where you have to take responsibility if you choose a company, choose a job, or choose a place to live and you don't like it, that you can't blame like big Air Force or Army or Navy or whatever, whatever branch, right? And I remember when I was having a difficult time at Goldman and I didn't like it, but it was the first time I was like, ugh, I don't like this, but it's like, it's not Goldman's fault. Like I, I had, like, I made this choice, right? And that was something that like, I wish I would have showed more myself more grace on, but now it's incredibly empowering. And what I also have told people is that also means that I have incredibly low threshold to be in a professional environment where I'm not enjoying it, I'm not valued, and that there's just bullshit. Because I just experienced seven years in the military where like, I didn't have the choice. Like, it's not like you show up at a deployment and you've got six months and it's like, mm, I don't really like this. Like, I don't wanna do this, I'm leaving. Or you get a new, you know, you show up at a new commander, you show up to a new squadron and you're like, oof, I'm not really feeling the vibe here. I'm gonna go somewhere else, right? That's a luxury and a privilege of choice that I think civilians take for granted and I don't. And so like, I'll leave, I will leave. I also tell people, I go, I'm a very solution-oriented person, so let's solve these issues. But if we don't want to solve them together or you feel like they're not worth the time, that's fine. You all can continue to engage or work in this environment, but I'm not going to. And then I'll just go and find something better and greater and on to the next one. 
I love it. Uh, Trier, I'm so grateful for your time. There's so many personal takeaways I've brought from this conversation. I know our listeners will as well. And I'll add a link to Trier's LinkedIn profile, her company, if you want to do some um, follow-on conversations there or let her know how much her advice means to you. Uh, Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Justin. And thank you for having this platform and doing this. This is fantastic. Beyond the Uniform is written and produced by me, Justin Asiri, with the help from our Chief of Staff, Steve Bain, our Editor, Lex Brown, and our Head of Social Media, Janelle Hanf. We are an all-volunteer organization and would greatly appreciate your help in any of the following ways. First of all, spread the word. Beyond the Uniform has over 380 podcast episodes and 15 on-demand webinars, all offered for free. Help us spread the word on social media, at military bases, or whatever gets this resource in front of the men and women who need it. Positive reviews on iTunes go a long way towards this as well. Second of all, sponsorship. Beyond the Uniform relies on sponsorship to keep us going. There is so much more we'd like to do, but just don't have nearly the resources to do it. If you know of a company that would advertise in any way with Beyond the Uniform, please send them our way. Third of all, donations. If you're in a financial position to donate, you can find more information on the support section of our website. At our website, beyondtheuniform.org, you'll find over 380 episodes categorized by industry, functional role, and more. You'll also find both free and for purchase resources that take a deeper dive on topics related to career growth. Thank you for your support as we aim to help members of the military and their families thrive in their post-military career in life.